And I think that was kind of the mentality I was in for a good 10 years as I went to Berkeley for undergrad, as I went to law school, as I tried desperately to be a professional worker in the Silicon Valley Bay area and like never let anyone know about any of that. And it wasn't until I started my own business that I was really able to look back and, and had a level of financial freedom that I was able to look back and say, oh, actually that wasn't an experience I was ashamed of. I learned that shame from people and maybe it is not the story I want to tell myself anymore. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 188. We're Finn and Emma. And first off, we hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend and is enjoying your summers. Today, we have a wonderful interview with Amy, and we're super excited to get this one out there. Yeah, it's a fantastic conversation. She's a ball of energy and and optimism. And like, if this, if this episode had a subtitle, it would probably be like, live your authentic self, be your authentic authentic self, self. be unapologetically yourself. Unapologetically you. We, We found it. So yeah, this is fantastic. She's a former sex worker. She's an attorney. She owns three pole dance studios. Just basically a badass. Been exploring non-monogamy for a year with her husband. Yes, and a stable of men. Which, yes. uh, one thing to note about the stable of men. <laughs> uh, we clarify this at some point in the interview, but I wanted to clarify up front. Uh, we understand this is objectifying men in a way. Yes. And as she clarifies, that is no way how she treats them or really feels about them. It is more of a comical way to introduce it. So... That's all I'll say on that. Um, yes, that's listen, listen to the intent rather than the maybe uh, <laughs> objectionification. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I anyway, so. links to all everything she talks about too. She talks about her uh, pole dance studios. Everything is in the show notes, so please go check it out there at normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you can see show notes for all of our previous guests as well, which include pictures, links to anything that they've done, and anything that we've talked about resource-wise during the interview. Yes. And so we just want to say one more time, thank you, Amy, for coming on, sharing your story, and being here. Yes, thank you so much. Before we jump into her interview, we do have a couple of quick announcements. The first is we've been doing, as hopefully all of you know, virtual meet and greets every month. We're going to be taking July off, so stay tuned. We'll be announcing the next one very soon, but we will not be doing one this month in July. Too many summer activities, and we hope you all take the opportunity to get outside and spend as much time outside with your loved ones as possible. And your tolerated ones. And your tolerated ones, sure. Um, also, we have a couple quick dates for our Patreon group. First of all, thank you. If you are a Patreon member, we're so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this community would not be what it is, obviously, without all of you. And we couldn't thank you enough. And also a huge thank you to anybody who was a member and ended up having to cancel at any point. Again, like we don't get upset about that. We're bummed to see people go. But 
any support and um, support for the community is huge. So thank you to all previous members as well. Yes. Former, former members. Former members, sure. Um, but our Patreon dates for the month of July, we have a women's group call on July 20th, a men's group call on July 21st, and a Q&A on July 28th. Those dates are available on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button and you can see them all there. You can also sign up for Patreon if you're interested. We'd love to have you join us. Absolutely. And the last thing that we wanted to just uh, throw out there was a little bit of information on STD Check. It is an affiliate uh, partner of the show, and it is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. If you haven't used it or if you haven't heard of it, you should definitely check it out. There are links in the show notes uh, and on our website under the resources tab and under the favorite resources tab. It's a service where you sign up online uh, to get tested. It's a 10 panel test or there's other various tests. But anyway, you go into like a national, uh, blood lab, like lab corp request, uh, give your blood and whatever else they need. And in a couple of days you get texted your results and it's all online in their portal. And it's awesome. It's affordable. It's like $130. If you use the, the discount code links on our website and it supports the show as well. So we appreciate anybody who's done that in the past. And we just want to throw out to uh, as well, rather than us having to talk about this all the time, if you've used the service and you would love to help support the show in a free way, uh, go to our website and click on the contact us tab, send us a voicemail, let us know what you thought of the service. And if we can use your voicemail as a testimonial here, uh, we'll hook you up with a free entry into a meet and greet or some other awesome swag from the show as a thank you, but also you get to know that it felt good to help us not have to do this every week. Right, exactly. <laughs> so thank you in advance for all of the people about to go send us voicemails. We appreciate it. And even if you want to send us a voicemail just to say hi, let us know how we're doing or send us an email, all of that can be done at our website, again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the Contact Us tab. I think yeah. that's it, Emma. Yeah, I think so. Let's go talk to Amy. Well, welcome, Amy, to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Uh, and thank you so much for reaching out to us. Yeah, my pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you've got a diverse background of a little bit of non-monogamy, a little bit of maybe sex work, a little bit of pole dancing, a little bit of everything. So I I think it'd be great for you to introduce yourself and then Maybe we'll figure out the best place to like start weaving it all together. Totally. So my name is Amy Bond. I uh, live in uh, Berkeley, California, and I own three pole dance studios out here, um, San Francisco Pole and Dance, Oakland Pole and Dance, and Berkeley Pole and Dance. Um, my husband and I recently bought a house up in Portland, so we're going to um, probably, or we, I will be probably opening a, another studio up there in the next few months. And uh, yeah, pole dance is my greatest passion and my greatest joy, but also not the only thing I do. I am also an attorney. I worked in tech for five years. I do uh, legal consulting for startups, and I also do pro bono law, uh, working on asylum cases for people seeking asylum in the United States and um, family law cases specializing in um, domestic violence and child custody cases. Um, besides that, I'm a writer. I, uh, have a manuscript for a memoir that I wrote called Becoming California. It's about the time I moved to LA when I was 19 to be an actress. And, uh, depending on how you look at it, it failed spectacularly or kind of came of age. Um, so I'm telling, I tell the came of age version of that story and, uh, it's 
in a nutshell about um, leaving both the Mormon church and uh, leaving the porn industry and a wild ride through both of those (laughs) crazy institutions. (laughs) And um, yeah, besides that, I pole dance. When I'm not doing all of those things, you can find me eating on my couch or pole dancing. (laughs) That's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) There's a lot there. You (laughs) sound like a very busy person. (laughs) And I was just going to say... Based on your credentials, I would say failing spectacularly is not the correct um, description. It sounds yeah. like you have done quite well for yourself. So congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know, Emma, do you think go back to like Mormon porn well, star? Before, yes. But before we do that, <laughs> could you describe a little bit of your relationship status at the moment? Yeah. So my husband and I were monogamous. Um, a kind of default monogamy for, we're about to celebrate our nine year anniversary and we opened our marriage a year ago. So we're monogamous for eight years. Um, and about a year ago we decided to open our marriage, uh, then COVID hit. So we kind of closed it back up really fast and, you know, sheltered in place and all of that. And then, um, reopened, I started dating, you know, very COVID in a COVID way about five months ago. And, uh, I've kind of been a kid in a candy store dating a lot of people ever since then. Um, I just had a piece come out in the cut this morning in uh, sex diaries about my, um, uh, my Hawaii boyfriend calls it my stable. So my, uh, spreadsheet of men, <laughs> I track the people I date. <laughs> well, you are not the first, you are not the first woman to come on the show with a stable of men. No. I, I, and, no. and literally referred to it as a stable of men. So. Yes, yes. I had that. never heard that phrase before, but I love it. And I just love this idea that men are these like adorable ponies, like waiting for me. But of course, they live their own autonomous lives and are oh, wonderful humans. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but also a little bit self-serving and like, hey, why not have a have a stable for yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, I want to hear a little bit about that, but I think maybe we should start. Well, yeah, because I, I would imagine that the road leading to being open a year ago is sort of paved with all of your experiences coming up. And so like maybe take us back in time to, you said you grew up in the Mormon church somewhere Mm -hmm. along the way you were in porn you moved to LA and like, I guess, can I hear this? I would love to hear this story because (laughs) I honestly am just super excited to hear it. Okay. So, um, I grew up Mormon. Um, my parents were both in the military, so we moved around a lot. Um, I had a very, uh, I'm the oldest of seven kids and as structured as, and militaristic as, uh, my parents' work background was, they were actually like very chill about just letting us kind of run wild in terms of, you know, always running around the neighborhoods and playing in the woods and getting lost in our, in our neighborhood where we grew up in Minnesota and one in California and one in Virginia and one outside of DC. So we moved around a lot. And even though like you hear Mormon church and you hear, you know, military, you think like everything's very structured, Um, my childhood was surprisingly, uh, you know, chill. We had a lot of time to play and a lot of time to kind of, you know, uh, go wild and, and just kind of explore the world around us. And they always 
you know, chose suburbs to live in. So it wasn't, you know, like we were on streets in a city, but, um, you know, playing in, playing outside quite a bit and, uh, just a very happy childhood with my six brothers and sisters who, you know, then I thought they were all the most annoying people ever, but now are my closest friends. And, um, when I was 17, uh, my parents were very encouraging that we all like kind of, you know, did exchange student programs and went to other countries and kind of saw the way other people lived in the world. So when I was 17, I spent my senior year of high school in Germany and, um, my guest parents there were very like (laughs) anti-Mormon. They were very like, I think you're part of a cult. I'm glad you're here. Uh, maybe, we can save you while, you know, while you're here (laughs) kind of like that vibe. And I was, you know, growing up, especially as a teenager, I was very militant Mormon. And so, you know, I always thought that was just God's way of, um, giving me temptation so I could overcome it. So I was constantly trying to like convert them to Mormonism, which they didn't love. Anyway, some of their kind of like more chill thoughts and beliefs around, you know, maybe sex isn't such a bad thing kind of made me start thinking around 17. And then when I was, uh, when I graduated from high school in Germany, I uh, popped over to France and I was an au pair. So I took care of people's children in France for a year. And, you know, the European relationship to sex is just so refreshingly open and you talk about it. You know, I remember one time in Germany, I saw this couple at a lake and they were naked. And I was like, that's disgusting. That That is just the worst. Like, I hope God forgives them. And my guest mom was like, oh, you know, like, maybe that's actually not gross. And maybe nudity is a ter- perfectly natural state to exist in, you know, and that kind of blew my mind at 17 years old, um, <laughs> my background. And, um, and then living in France, I, uh, you know, there was a lot of tension between being like 18 and you're, you know, you're hot, like for the first time. And then like, but also like in Mormonism, your purity kind of defines your worth as a, as a woman. And, uh, ultimately the, like, I'm, I'm young and I want to explore sex kind of one in France. And, um, so I dated a lot of people and, um, started to kind of question, okay, is like this is the Mormon church for me anyway? Were, I went, yeah, please. Were your, were, yeah. Were your parents, like you said, you moved around a lot. Were they like strict in driving home, like the Mormon beliefs, or was this something that you sort of like took on? More yeah, like self, self-driven. Okay. Totally. My parents were very chill about the Mormon thing. Like they were a little bit like, yeah, like go to church, follow the rules. But like, you know, it's not the, you know, if we go to old country buffet on Sunday, God is not going to smite us. Um, <laughs> and I was a little bit more like, no, if you're going to do something, you do it all the way probably been an extremist in everything I've done. And, you know, I was like, we must obey the Sabbath. We must do everything by the book. Da, da, da. And uh, that started to relax around um, the Paris time. So after France, I flew home. I, I taught English in Italy for six months. And then I flew home and to my parents' house and um, worked at like Abercrombie Fitch in a restaurant for six months, saved some cash. And then I got on a bus and moved to LA to become a famous actress. And I was sure I was just going to be super simple. And it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like 
like the naive. I was gonna say. Twist <laughs> of being 18, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but there's something so wonderful about being that um arrogance the wrong word. I really don't think that's the right word. Um Na- like naive. Know, naive and just yeah. I can do anything, you right. know? And uh I think that overconfidence led me to a lot of really interesting experiences I wouldn't have otherwise had, and they were super fun. Um so I get to LA, I'm like my one like solid gig was as an extra on Judge Judy. That was like the one thing I could count on is I was going to get like 16 hour days on Monday and Wednesdays extra day on Judge Judy. And then uh, Judge Joe Brown came back at it from hiatus so that I was on Judge Judy and Judge Joe Brown. But extra is like, you know, it's like 16 hour days and you don't have time to actually go on auditions for other things. Anyway, I was at, I was quickly running out of cash. And, uh, you know, I thought like my two grand saved up from working at Abercrombie would be enough to like, you know, live for a while. It wasn't, even though my rent was only like 400 bucks, um, in the middle of LA, which is great. Um, I was like, I need to make some more money. I need to like make money so that I can like exist as the starving actress. All these other rich people are pretending they are when they go to auditions. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you can always tell the like scrappy ones like me from the ones who had like, you know, I went to a sandals audition and this girl showed up like in the sandals and her nails like matched the sandals. And I was like, she got the part. I was like, Oh, that's how you do it. So I answered an ad in the back of an LA weekly to go, um, be like a sexy masseuse. And I was still Mormon at the time, but I had like created this, uh, reality in my brain that if I, um, that if I did sex work to make $50,000, then it wasn't actually like sex because I gave into temptation. It was sex to like meet an end. And so it wasn't as big of a sin. Like I was kind of counting, like doing the accounting on, okay, well, if I sin in this way, but I don't actually like the sex, then like, actually I can go back to God later when I repent. And like, that will be a a talking point. So you can see why I became an attorney. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I, I answered that ad. I was very compelled that there was like no sex, like it literally, the ad said like no sex on it. So that was great. I was still a virgin and, um, I could do sexy massages in the hotels and it was like 300 bucks a pop. And then I shared that with a woman, uh, I don't actually know her name. I just called her my girl who was the one who booked me these people. And, uh, I made a lot of cash really fast. Um, one of the guys who came to my, uh, came to get a sexy massage, it was literally sexy massage. There actually wasn't any actual penetrative sex, um, was like, Hey, you know, you could, you could make a lot of money doing nude modeling. So I was like, cool. So I started doing nude modeling and in my head, nobody in Mormonism looked at these magazines because they were impure and it was against our religion. So obviously nobody actually looked at them, obviously. And so I assume this is going to be another twist where you realize that the the people who frown upon it are the ones who indulge the most. (laughs) So the nude modeling led to one of the uh, photographers saying, Hey, I shoot for porn. Maybe you should try it. And I was like, well, you know, that's like, we're really getting into like the edge, but I don't know. That sounds 
fun. You know, that sounds like a, a, a very lucrative way of making even more cash. So I was still keeping my Judge Judy gig and I was just so, and people would see me in the audience on those shows. Like it was amazing how many people would recognize me from the audience as an extra of Judge Judy. So I kept that kind of to prove like, oh, I'm still the struggling actress. I say I am, but also doing sexy massages at Holiday Inn Expresses <laughs> across LA. <laughs> and then also like nude modeling in, uh, San, they call it San Fernando Valley. And then I did my first porn scene with Ed Powers. I was still a virgin and he was amazing. Like he was like the nicest guy ever. And, uh, it was like, probably the best way to lose your virginity. I think that, you know, I hear all my friends stories about losing their virginity. It sounds like a lot of fumbling with people who don't know what they're doing. But my experience was with somebody who was like in, literally an expert and having sex. And so he, um, was very kind and it was a great first experience. And then I was kind of off to the races, like, Oh, that's it. That's, that's all like, you know, this is it. This is it the like huge sin. I thought it, it just felt so whatever. And so Jim, Jim was this guy at this um, place called world modeling, which is basically the agency in 2003 for anybody who did porn. It's kind of like porn is a hub and spoke system. So in the hub was Jim at world modeling and the spokes were all like the different uh, studios, the foreign production companies. And uh, he would just send me out. People would book me and I was doing quite a few scenes and still going to church on Sunday and still dating a Mormon man in Washington, DC and kind of living. Uh, I kind of fell into this double life that I started living very quickly. The Mormon church found out, uh, you know, obvious they had told me like, Oh, we didn't look, but a friend of a friend who's not Mormon saw you in a magazine and, uh, I got kicked out of my Mormon improv group and I was too embarrassed to go to church. And so, uh, you know, long story short, six months later, I, uh, I had left, left, uh, the Mormon church. And then six months later I had left porn to go pursue like, uh, going to school and, uh, kind of gave up on the whole LA dream thing and said, you know, I think I'm going to study political science instead. So that's what I did. And three years later, transferred to Berkeley, uh, political science led me to law school. Law school led me to being an attorney and plot twist attorney did not lead me to, uh, running three pole dance studios. But while I was in law school, I discovered, um, pole dancing as recreational sport, fell in love with it, started competing in competitions, um, and kind of vowed to myself, I'm going to open a studio in California after I'm finished with law school. And it took about five years paying off student loans. And, uh, you know, it, they always say a young lawyer's greatest dream is $0 net worth. So that was true for quite a while. <laughs> and, um, after I was able to pay off my student loans, I uh, was able to start my own, um, pole dance studio. That one was in 2016, fast forward five years. And now I have three looking at, um, opening my fourth one up in Portland. So, uh, that's the whole journey in a nutshell. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's amazing. It is. And it's amazing. Thank you for sharing it all. And yes. Yeah. I mean, I think what's, I, I think the piece, one of the pieces I love about it is that like, people get this stereotype and they're like, oh, well, she was just a porn star. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. But like went to law school, became an attorney, an entrepreneur, growing your business. Like 
it's just you take all of these stereotypes and you just say like fuck that like that's not like and like even if you were like hey i did end up just being a part like that's still like completely valid right Right. like you can do whatever you want it's your body it's your life do whatever Mm -hmm. you want whatever's going to make you happy and i think like i just love hearing the journey so thank you sharing. Yeah, I will say just to speak to that, you know, I think that um, we still live in a world where, you know, sex work is highly um, frowned upon and um, stigmatized, right? Yeah. Stigmatized. I mean, a a lot of people who are sex workers don't have much of an online presence because they're afraid of the stalking and the uh, harassment. and, And I've had those experiences and they're scary. Uh, I had one guy just last year, 20 years after I did my first porn scene, reach out uh, through like hundreds of YouTube comments and hundreds of um, comments on various social media platforms and then calling my studios and then finding my personal phone number, um, saying how he he got really obsessed with this idea that he was going to save me um, and take me to the Mormon church with the elders and help me repent and, um, that was his dying wishes An 80, I think 83 year old man, um, who lived, uh, on his bed, he couldn't get out of bed. And I only knew that because I called the police because I was scared of the threats that he was leaving me. And this was 20 we- years after I left the industry. Um, yeah. so you can only imagine what people who are still in the industry who have social media presences see every day in terms of kind of like hate mail and, um, and st- real stalking and things like that. Yeah, yeah and, to, and to to say that it's not, you know, not a legitimate job, not a legitimate career, like all of that, it's like, it's a lot of work. And like, obviously, I've never yeah. done it. But like, we've talked to a handful of people who who have and like, yeah, it's not, it's not like, oh, you just show up and have some sex in you along your way with a big paycheck. Like, there's a lot more to it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess all that to say, like, I think it's amazing where you've gone. But like, I didn't want it to come off as like, oh, well, if you had, if you had peaked out at porn star, like your life was a failure. Cause I don't think that's not. My yeah. Opinion. Thank you for clarifying. I think that's really important. And some of the smartest people I know are sex workers. And mm-hmm. I, I think their job really marries the hardest part of white collar work, which is managing people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. if you've ever run a business or been in any kind of management position versus like individual contributor, you're really like managing people's emotions, which are come out, often feel like they come out of nowhere versus like, you know, just being in a spreadsheet or a code base or whatever, uh, or a contract if you're an attorney. Uh, that married with the hardest part of blue collar work, which is that you're constantly physically moving um, and, and you take the hardest of both of those jobs and you tie them together. And that's often what sex work is. So uh, it, it is really hard work and it, and it is important work that um, that changes people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And yeah. thank you for building that a little bit. I um, appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that as well. Um, I'm curious, along the way, did you ever uh, hear, like, did you know about other relationship styles, non-monogamy, or when, yeah. I guess, in, in your, when in your life did that come in? I mean, in porn, it kind of just felt like, it to me, the whole world just felt like this is pretend. And so I would, like, open the door. I, I always thought of the door as, like, the 
place where the 405 meets the 101 in LA. Like now I was leaving real life once I got off the 405 and onto the 101 and the 101 led to my pretend world, which was performative based, performance based in the sense that we were performing scenes in, um, in, in, in sex work and in porn movies. But I met a lot of people obviously, uh, in sex work who, um, were married and some of them were monogamous except for the scenes that they did. And some of the, uh, and this was more often the case, many of them were like, I just love sex with lots of people. And, uh, and that's the life I want to live. And so maybe they had a primary partner, um, but they had sex with lots of other people, both recreationally and on camera. And often those two worlds kind of bled into each other for a lot of people. For me, sex was work and that was it. And there was no sex in the real life, which was back on the 405. Yeah. Um, and you did just interrupt you. you did, yeah. You did have a, you said you have at one point you had a par- partner in Washington DC as well. Yeah. So I left, I, when I left the Mormon church, before I left the Mormon church, before I got kicked out of improv, he found out. And so that that kind of ended that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I see. So he He didn't, didn't he didn't, (laughs) yeah, I was going to say he didn't, he didn't feel that, um, when you got up the 405, the sex didn't count any longer, I guess. Yeah. He didn't feel that way. (laughs) 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 What a prude. I don't know. I think you're better off without him, Amy. Well, to be fair, I was lying to him. So I'm, I want to yeah, be clear. He was right in this situation, but maybe not right about the sex work piece specifically. I, com- um, I completely agree. I, yeah. I agree that the, 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 the deception was probably not ideal. It makes sense that that relationship didn't work out. <laughs> fair. But yeah, all that to say, um, I had been exposed to it, but by the time I left porn and left sex work, it still felt like, um, there's this line in in the last episode of the first season of Mad Men where Don Draper says to Peggy, um, you'll be shocked at how he says, you have to move on with your life. You'll be shocked at how this never happened or something like that. And I think that was kind of the mentality I was in for a good 10 years as I went to Berkeley for undergrad, as I went to law school, as I tried desperately to be a professional worker in the Silicon Valley Bay area and like never let anyone know about any of that. And it wasn't until I started my own business that I was really able to look back and and had a level of financial freedom that I was able to look back and say, oh, actually that wasn't an experience I was ashamed of. I learned that shame from people. And maybe it is not the story I want to tell myself anymore. Um, but it was very much that this, you won't believe how much this never happened for a very long time before I was able to reassess, write my memoir and dig into, okay, what was that experience that I kind of had locked into a a box for a really long time for over a decade? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that, I guess, experience inform when you met your now husband and you, you start dating and developing this relationship, like how did that inform like what that relationship looked like? Maybe what, what you shared with him and how you two wind up, you know, eight years in opening your marriage up. Yeah. I mean, when I met my husband, 
Well, this sounds so slutty, but I am slutty. So what are you going to do? <laughs> no, hey, we don't. Judge. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing at all. But um, so I dated his best friend before I dated him, my husband, my now husband, and his best friend had told my husband, like, oh, you know, this person I'm dating uh, used to do porn. So it was kind of a, a nice entry into a relationship where I didn't have to decide. And it was very case by case when I dated people, when I would kind of tell them and like, you know, I don't know if this matters to you, but da, da, da. And there are always two extremes. One was the like, oh my God, that's, I don't, uh, I don't need that reputational association. And then the other extreme was like, oh, wow, that's super hot. And it's like, oh, don't like fetishize me like that either. Like, you know, I would have boyfriends literally introduce me as like, it was never my name. It was literally like, oh, this is my girlfriend who used to do porn. And I was like, oh, like, not like that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, with Keith, my husband, it was so refreshing that someone was just like, yeah, I totally know that that's part of your background and maybe the least interesting part of you. And I'm in love with you for you. And like, let's live our life. So he was always very like, yeah, that was an experience you lived through and I'm going to follow your lead on how you feel about it and how you talk about it and whether you talk about it. And, uh, and so probably that entry point made it a little bit easier to navigate too. Yeah, totally. So you covered that he kind of knew about that at the beginning, how did it, uh, how did your relationship progress over the last years to lead to opening it up the last year? So our opening our marriage actually ended up being super like logistical. Like it was very much like Keith was going to Seattle for work five days a week. I was here building my businesses here in the Bay area, building my businesses during that time. We would see each other on the weekends, but the weekends are when I worked I still do work the most. So Friday to Sunday is like my prime time um, with my businesses and teaching. And um, so we didn't see each other a lot for about two or three years. So it was like we were not together that much. And we wanted to be, but just the circumstances of work and we're both building our careers. So about a year into that, he came, I know this was... Yeah. About two years into that, he said, I really feel lonely when I'm in Seattle and his solution. And I thought he was going to say, we should date other people. That was like where my mind first went, which I hadn't like really sat down and like considered that. So I don't know why that's where my mind went, but subconsciously I must've been thinking about it. And he said, I want you to come with me to Seattle like every other week. And I was super offended. I was, you know, like, what kind of Western wife do you think I am? I'm just going to sit around and wait for you in a hotel room. Like I have businesses to build, you know? And he was like, oh God, I've said the wrong thing. And then I was like, what if we get you a girlfriend? That would be great. We get you a Seattle girlfriend and then you date in Seattle and you have a person and then I'll be here. And I, I wasn't interested in dating people because I was married and still am married to my business to a certain extent. Um, but I'm sure in the back of my head, I was like, and maybe someday I will date other people. So it's kind of like a, 
home. Let's set this, uh, let's plant these scenes. For the, so for anyway, the stable. You gotta, the stable doesn't just stable. happen overnight. Right. Yeah. You've got to build the, the wood. You've got to plant the seed, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, for that tree to grow before you cut it down and make it. So, um, so I was like, let's get you a girlfriend. Let's like make you a dating profile. At the time, it sounded like the craziest thing we could ever do. Like make my husband a dating profile. Oh my God, this is insane. And now I've met so many non-monogamous people. I'm like, oh, that's so cute that I felt that way. <laughs> There's a first was, time for everything. Like that's, yeah, that's part of the was, fun of it. This was the first time. And so we made him a dating profile. He, we didn't use his real name. We called him web services daddy. Cause he's like really into web services and that's like his thing. And, <laughs> and then all these women in Seattle, like it was like this flood of women were like, Keith, I want your bond. And so he went on dates with many of them. We didn't do the thing that all of the ethical non-monogamy books say you're supposed to do, which is we didn't set boundaries or like have conversations about like, how will this go if X happens? So he had sex with a woman like after he met her. And in my mind, before the sex happened, he was like going to come tell me like, Hey, I think I might want to have sex with this person, which in retrospect sounds like kind of, well, how do you like break the heat of the moment, Amy? Like, you know, like it it sounds so puritanical to me now, but, um, I I was like very annoyed. I was like, no, we're shutting this down. I feel weird. You never told me you were going to like have sex on a first date. I don't even know this person. Obviously there were condoms, but you know, um, I was, I was just like, eh, false start. And then COVID hit. So it was just like, shut it down. We're just shutting this down. Then fast forward six months into COVID, everybody's sitting in their house. I said, you know, I think it would be really fun to make dating profiles. Let's start date. Let's start, let's date people. And my businesses were closed and it was September and COVID. And so it wasn't like, let's like have sex with as many people as possible. It was like, let's date people like in a socially distanced way. I I went on like so many hikes distanced with masks and, um, and so we did like a very careful, like dipping our toe into the water, kind of COVID dating thing. And, um, and now that things are vaccinated and things are opening back up, that's obviously quite different, but it was very like one-on-one, very slow. Um, yeah. So that was the start. That was how we started. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious though, like Keith was like, Hey, I'd love you to come to Seattle with me. You're like, Hey, how about we just get your girlfriend instead? Like, that's a big, uh, <laughs> that, those two are not on the same, like end of the spectrum of like ways we solve this problem. How yeah. did he, how, how did he react when you were like, I'm not coming with you, but let's get you a dating profile so you can hook up with somebody else while you're there. I mean, I try not to be gendered about these things, but it's, I assume, and I've never had this experience with a woman, but I assume suggesting that to a man may be a little bit easier than suggesting it to a woman. (laughs) So I said, we should have you date other women. And his eyes were like, really? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so it was 
quite easy. There was not a lot of, let me think about this. I'm not sure. It was like, oh, really? And then we got out his phone and we made him a dating profile. Like literally like in five minutes, it was like, we are making this dating profile. And so there wasn't a lot of, um, let's like consider it for a while first. It was very quick. <laughs> did he, do you think there was any regret then when when he like did it uh, yeah. and you got and you got a little bit pissed off and like shut it down? He was like, "This is not what I was expecting." Like you were gung ho, and now we're like backtracking. Like was how, yeah, that's like yeah. It was a. I think it was more a wake up call to, hey, maybe we ran to this too quickly. We should step back consider like read the books like do the research prepare like figure out what where other people have like made a misstep do your do that kind of work to set some boundaries which by the way we did all that and we set boundaries and then we kind of like immediately broke all of them so but we knew kind of what to expect going into it and we had read that a lot of people of other people said like we set these boundaries and then we break all of them so that was you know very it sounds like that's pretty common. Um, well, but, what, did that, yeah. what did that look like in reality? Right. Like, what did those boundaries look like? And then how did you wind up breaking them? Because I think, yeah, like saying it flippantly, like not that it didn't happen, but like people are just like, well, then why the fuck even make the boundaries? But right. like there right. is some logic there. And maybe I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Yeah. Like I think the thinking things through thing, like as an attorney, when I'm preparing a case, I have a contingency plan for any outcome. So if this happens, I'm going to do X. If this happens, I'm going to do Y. If this happens, I'm going to do Z. And just knowing the potential outcomes and like, you know, anytime you add more than two people, it becomes exponentially more complicated. And that's just true because of how many different relationships are involved. Now it's not one, one relationship between two people. It's one, two, three relationships between three people. And so, um, and then more people and more people. So one of our rules was that we would only date, um, one-on-one. We weren't like looking for like a unicorn situation, um, or like to like message somebody, like they were like a little toy or something, but like together, it was like you date alone, I date alone, and we don't meet each other's people. And then another rule was that we would not have sex in our house. We would like meet people other places, But then like I met all these men who were like really cool, nice, emotionally intelligent, interesting, successful, professionally successful, like an emotional level people who I'm like, God, you and my husband would really get along. And so, you know, then my husband was dating this woman, Annie, and I was dating this man, Matthew. And, um, and we were both going to go to dinner the same night. And he suggested, what if we do a double date? And this was like five months ago. And I was like, oh my God, that's so insane. That's crazy. And so fun. What a fun thing. And what a weird thing. Maybe we would do a double date with like our people and they like meet each other. And I like even texted the guy I was dating, Matthew, I was like, I know this sounds crazy, but what if we go on a date together with my husband and his girlfriend? And he'd been in ethical non-monogamy much longer than me. And so I was like, yeah, cool. Then I was like, really? And I thought it was the craziest thing. And then we went on a date and it was so much fun. And then 
my husband and my boyfriend like got each other's phone numbers and they like text independently and uh, they're in like a D&D group together. And, you know, like, very, I guess that's kind of stereotypical too, actually. But um, yeah, like they <laughs> became really good friends. And, and I became really good friends with his girlfriend. And that we're like, actually, the fact that we like these other people is probably an indicator that the other one of us would like these people. So why hide them from each other, you know? And, um, then, then like not having sex in our house thing became kind of like laborious, like, well, why are we getting hotel rooms? Like, what if we just go to our house, you know? So like on a very practical level kind of broke down. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially if your boyfriend's over playing D and D with your husband, you might as well, like, (laughs) you don't want to have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) It's virtual. I get it. The joke works better if it's in person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, even now we're kind of running into those things. So we're going to go on, we just booked a trip to go to Italy in August and September. And so it's like, okay, well, like Keith has his girlfriend and I have my boyfriend, but like, I'm not going to go to Italy and like not have sex with my husband, you know, like that that's the most romantic place in the world. So like, what does that look like? And we don't know what that looks like yet. So are we getting an Airbnb with like three bedroom, four bedroom, like, does everyone get their own room? Does that make sense? Or does like me and my boyfriend and him and his girlfriend have their own rooms, but like, we can't swap because the girlfriend and the boyfriend don't like, you know, so we don't know. We're figuring it out. <laughs> but the four of you are going on a vacation together. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love it, it too. It. I think, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. We are Oh, we're navigating some situations as well. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, but, I want to hear it. What's, what's your situation? <laughs> all right, high level is our situation okay, yeah. is we've found and we've been sort of dating another couple, not sort of, we have been. <laughs> and so Great. we have the four people thing, but we don't have the problem you have. So like if we go on a vacation, we get a room and they get a room and then we figure out when and yeah. how to swap. And there's logistics there too. But like- yeah. Your logistics are different. And I would have thought we we were both sitting back and being like, well, this would be easier if they weren't together, but maybe it wouldn't be. We I would have said that. We've thought it. I've thought it. <laughs> we we have said it. That's baloney. I guess maybe. We've been like, well, this would be less quote unquote complicated if like each one of them were independent. Cause there's just yeah. less there's less oh, yeah, dynamic overlap. Yeah. Um so it's it's just very it's just very interesting to hear like all of the different ways that this works. And then you're well, just what like, do you think? Should we get set? Which room should we plan in advance? Like, Hey Keith, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I'm sleeping in your bed. Uh, it feels very sister wives at this point. I don't know why my husband doesn't think it's weird at all. I think it's a little, well, we should think about this. We should plan it. <laughs> Well, how do how do your your other partners? And now we're just having a straight up conversation <laughs> about how the hell to do this. So I I love it. Um, do the other people like if you let's say here's a here's what I thought you get a place yeah. with three rooms, yeah, and like one of the rooms is basically like the slam pad, and anybody okay, can yeah. use it. Yeah. And maybe you and your boyfriend sleep in one room and, and him and his girlfriend sleep in another room. But also, I imagine you're going to want to sleep with your boyfriend. I guess on those nights, you could sleep you in the, your, husband. your husband. You could yeah, sleep in totally. the third room. The slam but like, pad. 
Right. But like, can, like, are the other partners cool if like sleeping on their own for a night or two on the trip? Like, I don't know how independent they are. I think they're waiting for us to be like, here's what we've decided. We're like, cause we're still in like the primary couple thing, which like, I'm not sure long-term it's going to be like so hierarchical, but I don't believe in hierarchy. Like I'm not a king, you know, and just, there's peasants or something like even like sleeping with my husband in like the room upstairs. And then when my boyfriend visits, he sleeps downstairs feels kind of weird to me, to be honest. Like it feels like a flow chart of management and I don't love that, but that's where we are right now. We have like our primary relationship is each other. And so I think they're a little bit like, Hey, you guys tell us what you want. And we don't really know yet. So I think we're figuring it out. I like yeah. the slam pad idea though. <laughs> I was like, I think, I think you need at least three bedrooms. I think l- fewer yeah. than that would be really tough. I mean, the other option yeah. is like you said, you just go four bedrooms. Each one of you essentially has your own space and you yeah. can have yeah. sleepovers in whatever configuration you want. And who knows, maybe one of them or one of you meets some fifth party on the trip. And now you have a space that you yeah. can do that. I don't know. I, I like it. It starts to get more expensive, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the, the, the added expense might be worth it in the same yeah. um, stress level. Stress and drama. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. So uh, I will report back. <laughs> yes. Plus, if you have a spare room, I mean, Emma and I love Italy. <laughs> We've never been to Italy. <laughs> but we can go. Oh, my God. You guys have got to go. Do you play D and D? I I could get on board if oh. it means I'm coming to Italy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone in this group plays D and D except for me, so they would be overjoyed to have more people. <laughs> I'm, I love games, yes. so I can be persuaded into just about any gaming um, adventure. Nice. Yeah. So. <laughs> I have a, I'm going to take us on a different route. You're going to get us back totally. on track or are we getting off track know. even further? Uh, no, we can get off. Well, it's kind of off track. Well, no, it's on track. Um, I was curious. So you said for a few years, um, you and your husband were apart a lot with mm-hmm. COVID. Did, was, he, was he back in, were you guys living together again, like sheltering in place together for that time? Yeah. And yeah. if so, like, did that, do you think going through that experience together, like push you to want to date other people more? Or do you think it impacted your choosing to open your relationship again at any way? Yeah. It kind of felt like we just became one person for a while. Like it was so fun. We watched every episode of friends, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and we finished each other's, like we finished each other's sentences before, but like, you didn't even need to talk. I just say a sentence. Like it was like, we had merged so much into like this one entity that it was like, Esther Perel talks about this a lot in her book, Mating in Captivity, like the essential problem or like challenge is that like, in order to feel like really excited about sex, you need there to be this like element of danger and uncertainty, but like we seek security through marriage. So like, how do we like make those two things work together? And especially COVID you like really amplify the like safety and security in each other because the world is so risky right Mm -hmm. now. And so like, okay, all we've got is security and safety and there's no uncertainty because we are going to be here all day long And we will like every day was like, wake up, walk, get a coffee, 
go into our offices, which are like, he's like right there, like literally right outside the store and in his own headphones and then eat lunch together and then go back to our offices and then watch friends each eat dinner. And it's like, are you super excited about sex at that point? Like I've seen you all day, you know, <laughs> like, yep. so yep. I think probably, yeah. Like it wasn't that I like didn't, li- I've met a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I can't stand my person. It wasn't like that. Like it wasn't like COVID amplified anything like that. It was just that it was like, okay, we have, we are now one entity and we need to disentangle a little bit and live our own lives so that we can come back together a little bit more, uh, uh, are autonomously mm-hmm. a thousand percent yeah because you there's no there's no element of mystery like right and what are you going to talk about like well what did you do today well you know what i did like for <laughs> yeah, us literally like <laughs> literally emma's desk is right here i can touch right. it yes. we, we work within three feet of each other so it's not like i'm be like well what did you do today well i know what you did today i watched you do it for the last yeah. 12 hours and so like <laughs> totally we we have to find other things to talk about and I'm, I would just say one of the things we started doing during COVID is uh, we would both go for walks in the morning, but we'd walk out the door and we'd go different directions down the street. And so we would, oh, we were like, we were actively like, you do this, I do that. And what was actually really frustrating about COVID f- for us is before uh, in 2018 and 2019, we backpacked in South America for a, over oh, cool. oh, just about a year. So for almost a year straight, we spent 24 hours a day together. Mm-hmm. And when we we moved to California, we said like we need to find some individuality. So Emma joined some different like organizations, and I joined a couple. And we were like three weeks into this, and we were like feeling great about it. And then boom, everything shut down, and we we're like, yeah, damn it, back to spending every single day, so, every like, moment together. We were well versed in how to do it, but we did not want yeah. to fucking do it because that's what we had just done for yeah. the last eleven months, and we were. Oh, like, but I do, I do say that traveling together for a year prepared us Absolutely. for COVID. <laughs> Without a doubt, but yeah. So yeah. I sorry. Think can you're... you say that one more time? I missed it. The mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi went out. I was just gonna say, prepare like the traveling for a year definitely prepared us for COVID, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we wanted to do it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> totally. I what totally. What organizations get... did you join? I'm so curious. I was doing it. I went and was doing like improv. Um, so that kind of, I thought of that when you were talking Fine. about that, I was doing that. And Emma was like doing like Toastmasters and a couple other things. And just, Not cool. even oh, just like getting out and going to a coffee shop and being like, I'm going to go yeah. work at the coffee shop two days a week. Like was a, was a change for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I totally get that. Like this is an injection of new and now you have things to talk about. He has a girlfriend, you have a stable mm-hmm. boyfriends and like exciting things happening. Like how you're learning too the whole time. Like, how do we do yeah. this? You're reading books. It's stimulating. And we're learning so much about ourselves too. Like, you know, I always thought I, you know, since I got married, I always thought, Oh, I'm, I've won. Like I want it love. Like I've the happiest marriage and like, I know who I am and he knows who he is, but like, we know who we are together, but then surprise, you have a relationship with other people, a romantic relationship, and then you show up as like slightly different versions of yourself. And that's so exciting too, because, oh, I thought that I was just this way for just to create some concreteness around this. I always thought I was super dominant. Like I was like the dominant personality, uh, always. And that's just who I am. 
And then I dated a man, or I am dating a man who's much more dominant than me. So I'm like, I'm daddy. And he's like, no, I'm daddy. And I'm like, no, I'm daddy. And he's <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So now I'm this different version of me and it's super fun. And I didn't think I would like that. And I freaking love it. So that's interesting and unexpected. And um, like, I, I love things in life that remind you that you are not this like static, like, a pre or decided version of whatever you are, you actually morph and change it regardless of the day or the chemicals in your body or the person you're dating. Like that hadn't occurred to me. So it's very delightful to kind of figure out. Yeah. And what other ways, like what other ways have you seen yourself grow over the last year? And like, what are some ways you've seen your husband grow in that same time? Um, okay. So one of the ways that I've seen my husband grow has been just this kind of, I think in the same way I thought like, Oh, I got the good, I got one good guy. There's no other good guys. You know, especially after me too, I was like, Oh, good riddance. I got a good man. Uh, there's none other ones out there. Um, you know, (laughs) and then I started dating a lot of men and I was like, Oh, there's actually plenty of great men out here. Um, and so that was, an actual switch for me, um, like re-remembering half of humanity's humanity. And, um, and for him, I think he had this default sense, like, oh, I got like, you know, I like snagged a, a interesting wife and no one else would possibly be interested in me who is like my wife. And now he's met all these women who are like professionally super successful and, emotionally very intelligent and good looking and you know and that matters for for like our attraction and um and i think it's been not only like a confidence booster but um like has reminded him of just like how big the world is and how many people there are out there and and how many relationships there are to be had and he dates less people than i do but he still has uh Somebody recently called it his harem of babes. He has three women he's dating besides me. And um, and they're all like fascinating people with a very rich individual lives. And I'm not sure he knew that access is such a weird word to use for this, but I'm not sure he thought he could have relationships with those people. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's been great to see him kind of flourish under kind of the sun of other people's love too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, do you think moving forward, uh, I guess, do you see anything changing in your relationship dynamic moving forward? Yeah, I definitely think the answer is yes. Like, but mainly the way we've been open in our marriage has been until very recently, pretty COVID specific. Like, you know, you're, you're very careful and you get tested for not only STDs, but also let's throw a COVID test in there before you like meet in person and like touch each other. And that was like kind of the state we were doing things until very recently. And, um, now everyone, now we're vaxxed and like other people are getting vaxxed and, um, and, or are vaccinated. And, um, so 
now it's like, oh, we don't have to be so like meet for a hike and, and like keep distance. So that part is different. And seeing what like the real world without COVID on it looks like has been really interesting and very nice. I am so tired of hiking Strawberry Creek in Berkeley. So I know that creek like no other. And, <laughs> um, and so that's fun. But also, yeah, I talked a little bit about like the hierarchical piece before. And if you've ever read the book Polysecure, there's like this graph, I think in the first chapter where it's like, it's like a grid and then there's like monogamies over here and then it trickles into these versions of openness that come down over here, which is like kitchen table poly slash relationship anarchy. I'm not sure I'm an anarchist, mainly because I have 10 years of history with Keith that I just don't have with other people. And we call each other ground zero because we're literally like, you know, one time I was counting the like, okay, I'm dating this person, I'm dating this person, I'm dating this person to my Hawaii boyfriend. And he was like, oh, well, you forgot Keith. And I was like, yeah, but he's just like zero. He's like ground zero. And, you know, we share a bank account and we share, we have both of our names around the same cars and the same mortgages. And like, uh, you can't do that with like 10 people, can you? Or maybe you can, but it seems messy in an unnecessary way. Um, but I love the idea of like my boyfriend and my husband live in the same house and we all hang out. <laughs> that would be super fun. Um, so I think that's probably the direction we're headed into this like kitchen table poly world. You know, growing up Mormon, I was always taught that polygamy was this like huge stain on the history of Mormonism. And it was like a thing they did to replenish like the earth angels who are bringing the true um, church of God to the earth, but that we only did it briefly and then we cut it off. And now it's just monogamy all the way. And that's the way to do things. And you know, I was very on board with that for most of my life. And now I'm like, huh, maybe if everybody has equal power, that's not so freaking weird. <laughs> you know, so right. has there has there been or have there been like it sounds like it's gone very smooth the last few months for, for you and Keith. Like you've yeah, you've collected, and I know these are very like sexist terms and, and none of us really feel this way, but like, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've collected this stable of men and he's got his harem. And obviously from what you're saying is like, it's very, everyone is very autonomous. That's not exactly how it happens, but you've got multiple boyfriends. He's got multiple girlfriends. Like you have businesses, multiple businesses. He's sounds like very successful in what he does, like managing all of that time, but also like keeping yourselves connected to one another. Like how do you do all that? And have you come up against any like struggles? Um, I think the one time I've gotten jealous wasn't actually of my husband. It was of my boyfriend sent me this picture where he like called, he like sent me a screenshot of, of a text combo he was having with this girl, this woman he was dating. And in it, he said like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. You got to he now. Yeah. He said like, baby girl. And I was like, what? The, that's my name. I'm baby girl. And then I was like, wait, I can't own that. That's like everybody's baby girl at some point. Like, you know, so I was like, oh, this is what jealousy feels like. Like I was like sitting in my car, like, ah. and then I was like, oh, 
Amy, you're feeling jealous. This is, let's think about this. Like it was so exciting almost like, oh, I didn't think I could feel jealousy and here I am. And so, and what are you going to do? You're not going to like lock it under a rug and like not talk about it because then that's the best way to like make it bigger. So I like messaged him and I was like, um, oh, I just felt jealous and I don't know why. And I'm embarrassed. I feel jealous, but I do. And we decided, I was like, I can't like own baby girl. You can't trademark baby girl. It's too, like literally from a legal perspective, too generic. And so (laughs) I was like, Hmm, what do we do? And he was like, let's, I'm going to give you your own name. That's unique just to you. And like, it was very cute. And he like brainstormed like names in Italian that like are, you know, represent me and that are unique. So he calls me me risata, which means like giggles in Italian. And that's like pretty specific to my personality. And now I have my own thing, but, um, you know, not to keep talking about Esther Perel, but in State of Affairs, she talks about ethical non-monogamy in like the last three chapters of her book. And one of the things she says is that uh, one of the things she sees with ethical non-monogamy couples is that they don't have anything that's like unique to the relationship. And that's where it starts to get into trouble. So creating spaces for things that are unique just to you two versus like you do them with everyone. Um, so for me, uh, for my husband and me, um, I think of when I think of the four seasons, I think of my husband cause he freaking loves the four seasons. <laughs> and so one time somebody asked me to go to dinner at the four seasons and I was like, Oh, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's like, that's my husband, my, my husband and I go to dinner at the four seasons, but it's like that specific, you know, it's not like any hotel dinner. It's like, the Four Seasons is where I go with Keith. And and I like that there's like defined, very specific, unique things that are like we hold for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I think that's important. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I had a question about, um, as you were talking, it triggered this thought of how you are very obviously open in your life about who mm-hmm. you are. And how has that gone with your family? With because I'm assuming a lot of them have stayed in the Mormon faith. Um, only one, only one sister is still technically Mormon. And every, all, I'm the oldest of seven. So my other six brothers and sisters um, either identify as atheist or agnostic. Um, so it, that actually makes it pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and my boyfriend and my husband all went and spent time in Portland together. So my mom was visiting me at our house in Portland and my boyfriend was also in town and my husband was there. So it was like me and my boyfriend and my husband and my mom were all hanging out. And I was very much like, how is this going to (laughs) go? You know, let's find out. Like, it wasn't like, let's like get her ready. It was like, no, let's just find out. So, um, and also like I told her I was non-monogamous, but I don't think, I don't think she was like thinking through like the logistics of it. And then we all get to this house and she's like, Oh, where, so where are you all sleeping? And it, it was like, well, all the rooms are taken. So, uh, we'll just all sleep in the same bed. And she was just kind of like, "What?" <laughs> but she was super cool about it. Like she was like, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
And I was like, yeah, we have our own blankets though. So everybody have their own blanket in this like large bed that we have in our house in Portland. And like, I think, you know, this happens with pole dancers a lot where pole, pole dancers who also have full-time jobs as engineers or lawyers or whatever are like, I don't know how to talk about being a pole dancer and like my muggle life. And I think the secret is like, you just do it and you do it unapologetically and you just live your life. And if you're not sorry about it, then people are like, oh, cool. That's just who that person is. But if you're like, oh, sorry, mom, I know this is weird, but like, I'm eh, going to sleep with my boyfriend and my husband. Is it cool? I can get you a hotel. It's like, no, just mom, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and my husband. You're sleeping in this room. I'll see you in the morning for coffee. Good night. You know, and it's like, we're done here. So I think there's something about just like, be yourself unapologetically. Don't make it weird for other people. And then like, people are cool. And often they're not. And usually when they're not, it's on the internet. So don't read the comments of anything you write about us. <laughs> Sage advice. Yes. And also, I, I believe you have just stumbled upon your solution to Italy. It's a one-bedroom place with a really uh, big bed. Yeah. It's not. That's not the solution? Damn it. I thought yeah. I was there. It's not. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So... <laughs> so Maybe along the lines of cramming everybody into the same bed, do you have, in the last six months, year that you've been doing this, any hilarious bloopers that have come up either for yourself, for Keith, just the two of you in navigating this <laughs> wild non-monogamy that we're doing? Um, I mean, this is just such a weird story um, Perfect. that... It's not like blooper. It's actually like, and we all lived happily ever after. But um, so this Hawaii guy I'm dating is really into anal sex. And I am not. I was like, nope, shut it down. He like gave me the sex spreadsheet when we first started dating. That was about like, what do you like? What don't you like? And I thought that was very hot that he like cared enough to know what do you like sexually before you go to bed that he like sent me this spreadsheet and we've talked through literally like every sex act under the sun, just like our feelings about it, our histories with them. I had a weird experience. Yeah. Sexual is all experience with anal sex in my early twenties. So it was like, not for me. Um, never again. It was not comfortable. And he was like, well, you know, I totally hear you. And uh, it's just something I like. And it doesn't mean we have to do it. You know, I have other people. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. Perfect. Then we move on with our lives. And the way he was about it was just so respectful and like consent oriented at, that like, by the time we finished talking through the sex spreadsheet, I got in my car and I was like, I want to have anal sex with, with Matthew. Like I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I go home and I talk to Keith and I'm like, Keith, Matthew has a very large penis. My husband does not have a boyfriend dick. Like it's not small, but it is not the largest penis of all time. And he was like, I was like, I want you to like train me to have anal sex with Matthew. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we decided we both have busy schedules. We decided every Wednesday night, we're going to keep called it night school. We're going to go to night school and it's going to be anal sex night school. And so for five weeks, every week I come home after work and Keith like has like shots of whiskey on the counter. 
He's like laid out the like butt plug situation on this like towel. Everything's been like sanitized. It's like, it's like he's set up for surgery and he like plays some Sade and we like go to work on the, on the training program. And, uh, by week five, we if was comfortable, more comfortable. And, uh, I was like, okay, Matthew, like, let's go, you know? And he's like, whoa, like, are you sure? Like I, we like talked about this and it was like, not something you were like into. And that was even hotter. So I was like, oh my God, like you want this. And then you're like checking yourself, like, thank you for your self-control. And then we did it. And it just felt like this, like very healthily collaborative anal sex love story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the teamwork, the teamwork in the The community building. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, kind of a weird story. <laughs> how, yeah. Like it's just, it demonstrates how like when you're, you want to be a team and people love each other and care about each other. Like why not? Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like Keith was like, if you want this thing with this person, I'm going to help you get it. It was like, no, quite. it wasn't like, it wasn't like, Ooh, I don't know. Let me like think about it. It was like, I had just said, let's go skiing in the Alps. He was like, Oh, let's go. Let's plan it now. I'll get the, I'll go to good vibrations. You, Wednesday calendar invite. Like we were so good to go. It was just so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm impressed by, <laughs> I'm impressed by your willingness to go for it. And I think this speaks a lot to what, to the way your boyfriend rolled it out. Like, yeah, yeah. like, him rolling something like that out in the way he did changed you from a like, no, thank you to like, yeah, let's do this. And I'm going to work at it for five weeks to make it happen. Like, <laughs> I think that level, like that says a lot about like what that level of consent and transparency and talking about this does. Like if, if you want something like that to happen, then like, this is the way to approach it. I'd say. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that yeah. story, which is hilarious and packed full of wisdom. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like an Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dirty and I love it. <laughs> well, we, we want to, oh, you go ahead. I say, we wanted to give you a chance to plug anything you wanted to plug and talk uh, Too about- soon with the plug joke. <laughs> I know. Too soon talking about plugs. <laughs> okay let me try again we wanted to give you a chance to promote anything you wanted to promote as well as any final thoughts you'd like to get out there in the world yeah so um if you're an agent listening i have a manuscript it's called becoming california about my early 20s um and uh if you're interested in pole dancing i have three pole dance studios in the bay area um san francisco pole and dance Oakland Pole and Dance and Berkeley Pole and Dance, all at uh, subpoleanddance.com, oaklandpoleanddance.com, berkeleypoleanddance.com online. And uh, that's it. That's it. Well, links to all of that and ways to reach out to you will be in the show notes. And was there any final words of wisdom that you wanted to impart upon the greater normalizing non-monogamy community? 
No, I just think this is such a great podcast um, to share information. It seems like there's not a lot of information about getting started in ethical non-monogamy, even while I'm talking to so many people who are like, I think I'm interested in opening my relationship and I'm not quite sure how to do it. And, um, and I have those conversations mainly through Instagram stories, like all the time. And so I love your guys's work and I think it's really valuable to the world at large. Thank you. Thank, well, thank you, you so much. And, and thanks for all the work you do as well. Like the, yeah. the pro bono work you said you do uh, is incredible. And so thank you for that. Thanks. Um, there's not enough of that in the world. Um, so appreciate that and appreciate you being here and have a fantastic, I think it's still morning on your end. Yes. So have a fantastic rest of your morning and we will uh, be in touch. Yeah, thank you so awesome, much. guys. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Thank you so much, Amy, for reaching out, coming on the show, sharing your story. We're so excited to get your story out there, and we couldn't thank you enough for coming on and having such a fun and vulnerable and open conversation with us. Yeah, it was a hoot. Uh, I had a blast, and I hope I hope you did as well. So always welcome back on the show, and thank you again, as Emma said. Yeah, fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had fun with that one. I did too. And good luck on your trip to Italy. Yes. Hopefully that's all. (laughs) Hopefully the bed sleeping situation has been sorted. We're excited to hear any updates on that. Yeah. (laughs) So again, everybody, uh, Amy runs multiple pole dance studios and is an all around badass. Go check out all of her work in the show notes uh, on our website or in just clicking your podcast player. It'll take you directly there. And yeah, thank you for doing that. Before we let you go, we just want to do a quick reminder. Um, We do have our Patreon community, and we love everyone in that community. We thank you all for being part of it. It is an amazing, collaborative, supportive, I don't know, just badass community. And we are so grateful for every one of you. Yeah, so if you're looking for community around the whole non-monogamy thing, even if you're not non-monogamous yourself, but you're just interested in it or looking for support definitely check it out it's a couple bucks a month um, and you can cancel anytime and we would love to have you join us yeah we have monthly q a's we have men's groups women's groups and we also have an ongoing mewi chat um if you don't know what mewi is you'll figure it out it's just a chat online chat platform um that is great to all talk to each other so Go check it out on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button. And also just a heads up, our calls for this month, the women's group calls on the 20th of July, the men's group call is the 21st, and the Q&A is on the 28th. So go check those out and we'd love to see you there. And next week, uh, you wouldn't believe it, we've got another interview. Yes, surprise, surprise. A super awesome one, as usual, with Bree. Uh, you may remember the name Bree from episode 181 when we talked to Ryan. Uh, Bree is one of Ryan's partners and came on the show to talk about all things awesomeness. Yes. Uh, just, yeah, fantastic <laughs> conversation. So we're super excited about that one. And that will be out in a week. And uh, until then, have a fantastic rest of your week and weekend. And we'll see you in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.